So I want to take a look this morning because as we get into studying a little bit, we're going to see Jesus as being that rock that was struck there in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus. It's something that Paul refers to. But I want to look in the Gospels, in Luke's account, okay, he recalls what Jesus said in regards to a rock and the importance of building upon a rock. And that rock is Jesus Christ. So we're going to take a look in Luke chapter 6 together. I want to look at verse 46, and we'll read through the end of the chapter here. Thanks, brother. So Jesus says this, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? Okay, do you guys think that's a pretty legitimate question? Okay, Jesus, you're my Lord. (laughs) Then why don't you do what I say? To proclaim someone to be Lord. A lot of people like the idea of a Savior, right? Jesus, you're my Savior. I don't like the idea of hell. I don't want to go there someday. I like that, hey, because of what you did on that cross, I can be forgiven and have eternal life and spend eternity in heaven? That's pretty rad. I'm in. But this Lord part, that means I got to do what you say? That's, that's kind of the deal. Do you guys get that? Okay, that's why there's a call to repentance. Okay, repent and believe. We are turning. We're no longer following these lords or ourselves as lords. But Jesus, you are Lord and Savior. But I love what Jesus goes on to say here in the last part of chapter 6 of Luke. He says in verse 47, Whoever comes to me, And here's my saying, and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug a deep, dug deep, and he laid a foundation on what? The rock. And when the flood arose, the storms came, right? The streams vehemently came against the house. It could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built his house on the earth, a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. And the ruin of the house was great. Our faith in Christ, guys, is a faith that is founded upon a rock, it is a firm foundation. We shouldn't be moved. I have a hard time as a believer when I see somebody, they go through something hard and they're no longer going to believe in Jesus. You have to ask what type of foundation. Was he truly Savior and Lord to you? Or was he just a wishful thought, a nice idea? Or did you truly believe? You see, guys, something we do when we come to the Lord's table is we are remembering who he is. Because it is easy to get shaken in our faith. But that's why we're called to remember. We're going to be exhorted this morning in the sermon again to remember. And that's why it's so good to be in his word. Because the volume of this book, guys, it's about him. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
Guys, this is a solid foundation for us because this is the Logos, okay? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And the truth is, guys, we need the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we have no foundation, okay? We would be shaken by everything. But because of what he did and who he is and he ever lives, guys, we have life. And we put our faith in him and that is a solid rock for you and I. Amen. So let's pray, and then we'll partake of the cup and the bread together this morning. God, we love times together. Life does get really busy. Seasons can get hectic. But it is good to pause. It is good to gather together with other believers and just share in this common faith and remembering what you did on that cross 2,000 years ago, the life you lived, that you rose from the dead, and what that means for us as believers, as your kids, as citizens of the kingdom of God. We are so grateful and thankful once again, God, and we publicly profess that Jesus, you are a rock you alone are our solid foundation, Lord. God, help us to continue to have faith in you, to keep looking to you and trusting in you alone. Amen? Amen. Let's partake of the bread and the cup together this morning. I love the word of God. I don't know if you guys know that about me. <laughs> I really love the word of God. Um, Heaven and earth are going to pass away, but this is going to remain. Part and partaking of communion together is we do this as the church, as believers, until when, guys? Until he comes back. Do you guys know he's coming back? Do you know that? At a believer on Friday morning in the jail who didn't know that Jesus was coming back. He heard the gospel. He knew what Jesus did on the cross and he believed it. And he was a man who was in tears during Bible study. And I taught the entire Bible to them on Friday morning. And we got to the part where it talks about Jesus coming for his church, the rapture of the church. And this guy literally sat back in his seat. He's like, what? <laughs> what? Jesus is going to come and get me? Try to put yourself in the shoes of a man who's about to go before a judge and be sentenced to prison. What is he looking forward to? He's come to faith in Jesus, and that sprung upon him? What? Jesus, think about that, guys. You guys ever feel like you're in a prison? Yeah, this world's not our home. And I don't know about you guys, like the closer I get to Jesus, the more I feel that. It's just like, I'm uncomfortable here. This just doesn't fit. <laughs> it's because we're born again, guys. We're a new creation. We've been created for a new home. Do you guys know how awesome heaven's gonna be? Okay, if I happen to die sometime soon, don't trip, okay? Be stoked for me. <laughs> it's a homecoming. You guys ever get homesick? Yeah. I think for the Christian, we should always have that homesickness for heaven. And it's not just heaven. 
what makes a good, you know, returning home? There's people who sometimes move away from where they grew up. And they always love, I'm going back home. Okay? It's not, oh, it's because it's the Fox Valley and it's so beautiful here. <laughs> no, my family's there. Those are my people. I get to see my dad and my mom. Guys, we get to see Jesus. Okay? That's what we're homesick for, to finally see him face to face. It's going to be good. Sorry, we need to get into a sermon today. <laughs> Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians 10, I've been so enjoying the book of Exodus and the study of Corinthians. And once again, we're going to see them connect this morning together. And this is not by, you know, coincidence. This is something I think the Lord's ordained. We saw it as we studied through Genesis and Romans. Whoa, you got to be kidding. You know, talking the exact same things. Okay, and here this morning, Paul is going to refer to some things from the book of Exodus. Um, how many guys remember what a DVD is? Okay, there's a few of you guys that remember what DVDs are. The thing that I really loved, do you guys remember when DVDs started doing the scene selections that you could put it in there and you didn't have to watch the entire thing until you got to the part you wanted to see? You could just select, hey, I want to go back to that point because I, I want to see that. That's what Paul does here this morning for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. There's some specific sections of the Old Testament that he wants to pull out for you and I and to speak to us. And that's what we're going to see Paul do do here. He clicks on five specific scene selections of Israel's history. So the Corinthians and now the Freedom Fellowshipians won't be doomed to repeat it. Yet, (laughs) we do repeat it. That's the sad part, guys. I want to take a look, and you can <clears throat> turn to for, or Ecclesiastes with me for a second. We'll come right back to Corinthians. Turning your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. I'm going to read to you out of chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 3, and I want you guys to catch this. We're just going to read through a few verses here, but it teaches us that life has cycles, okay, of time. There's cycles of time, and some of us have lived enough life to see those cycles, to understand that that's true. In the scriptures here, they tell us in verse 3, what profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? That's a pretty good question. In verse 4, it says, one generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastes to the place where it arose. The wind, it goes towards the south and it turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers, they run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, There they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that will be, or what will be. And that which is done 
is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, See, this is new. It has already been done in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. So especially in verses 4 and 11 here, guys, you guys know it's been aptly said, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And we've seen that play out over and over again. Spirituality does not guarantee infallibility. There's a big danger in overconfidence. People that enjoy great privileges are far from being safe from temptation. And that's where we go this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Okay, simple outline for you and I this morning. We're going to look at five different privileges, five precepts, and five promises that Paul lays out for us in these first 13 verses. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll look at the five privileges first. Look at verse 1 with me. It's on the screen if you don't have a Bible. It says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers, they were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was who, guys? <laughs> Woohoo! But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. I want us to note, guys, that Paul speaks of these events as being factual. They really happened. And that's one thing that we, guys, need to understand when it comes to scriptures because there are many that look at the word of God at the Bible and say those are just some fun myths <laughs> stories to teach us something spirit it didn't really happen okay there's just a fun story that we can learn some things from I love archaeology. <laughs> Do you guys know the more they dig the more they find the other records they read from other people groups confirm that what the Bible tells us of history really did happen. It's pretty cool, guys. So, first thing I want to look at is there's a distinct direction. That is one of the privileges that Paul lays out for you and I. Did you guys catch this cloud, this pillar of cloud by day? They felt they were walking aimlessly in the desert, but they weren't, okay? God was directing their steps. They had a guide 24-7. No guessing game for them. It turned, moved, it stopped, it started. They just needed to follow. Pastor, that's a pretty good word. That could be the sermon today. <laughs> just follow Jesus, okay? If he stops, you stop. <laughs> if he goes, you go, Okay? But this is where Jesus was. This is what he was doing. Behold, I do a new thing. He's on the move, okay? We stay close to him. 
That's what we do, brothers and sisters. So it was easy, you know, as opening their eyes, okay? Give me eyes to see, Lord. Where are you at work? Where are you? How do I abide? How do I stay in step with you? So don't tell me, hey, if I could only see a sign, then (laughs) I would believe. You tell me I need to follow Jesus, I could only see a miracle, see a sign, then I'd follow the Lord. You guys, the God of Israel showed himself with daily signs, but to no avail, okay? It seems the supernatural became ordinary for them, okay? It's just, hey, we see the cloud daily, and it took God's presence really for for granted. You might struggle with the same thing today. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. You attend a Christian school, maybe. Maybe a lot of what you do are Christian activities. All you have are Christian friends. It may become so ordinary, the doldrums might set in of the day-to-day Christian life. Think about those brothers and sisters today who don't enjoy the freedoms we have They're meeting this Sunday in secret because if they got caught worshiping Jesus or having his word, they might get thrown into jail or maybe even killed. I think we're in danger of taking things for granted, guys. We enjoy much. We live in a Christian nation. Oh, you go to church? Good for you. I go to church every week. Good for me. You know how easy it is to become the ordinary? Again, these things are written for our learning, right? I want to look at the second privilege that we have here, also in verse 1. There's a door of deliverance. All passed through the sea, the Red Sea, right? And they didn't even get their feet wet. Think about that. Isn't that cool? There's another one that Paul brings up in verse 2. There's a large leadership. It actually says baptized or immersed into Moses. Moses was their leader, brought into this close relationship to him. Just as we've been baptized into Christ, you guys can jot down Galatians 3, 27, for as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So in Paul's day, if you wanted to dye a garment a different color, you take, uh, you know, to a towel merchant there, and then they would baptize it, okay? They would dip it in to change its identity. That's the word that was used for baptize. So God not only gave them a distinct direction and doors of deliverance, but also a large leader to follow in his man, Moses, And then we're told in verse 3 that there's this falling food. Ozzy's going to be preaching next week to us about that out of Exodus 16. For 40 years, guys, six days a week, okay, they never went hungry. They were eating the man. I'm not going to say more to that because we're going to leave it for next week. But do you guys see, isn't it cool that we're in Exodus at the same time? It's just like, yeah, this is rad. Uh, 
verse 4, guys, and this is the fifth privilege that we see here. It talks about this desert drink. Here's Jesus, pre-incarnate presence of him, a proof text here that Jesus couldn't be only a man, for it speaks of him a few millennium before. I think that's pretty cool. So that rock was Christ. So Jesus had his hand in the affairs of his people, here providing them all the water they needed. Exodus chapter 17, verses 5, 6, and 7, it talks about water coming from what? That rock, right? Anyone who thirsts, come to me. (laughs) And Jesus says, I will give to you. You will drink, and out of you, torrents of living water will come forth. So you think with all of these blessings thus far, Put yourself in the shoes of, or the sandals of the children of Israel. Man, we were in bondage in Egypt. God has delivered us, okay? You'd think that these blessings of direction, deliverance, of leadership, of food and drink, they would be thankful and obedient. Nope. (laughs) Did you guys catch at the end of this? It says most of them. What? Most of them, God was not well pleased. Three million. Three million people left Egypt, guys. How many in that generation entered into the promised land? Two, Joshua and Caleb. (laughs) But with most, (laughs) there were only two. That's almost all, right? So this had been an eye-opener for the Corinthians. Not well pleased. They failed to please God. So Paul's point was having privileges doesn't guarantee successful living. I would say we are very blessed. Spiritually, we are very blessed. Here at Freedom, we might not be a mega church, but I feel we have been given much from the Lord. And it's very easy to take it for granted. I know when I show up, the word of God's going to be preached. It's going to be preached well. I know when I go to church there, it's going to be biblical. Decisions that are being made are going to be biblical. We're going to be encouraged to look to Jesus because it's all about Jesus. You guys see where we can start taking that for granted? There's not a whole lot of churches that do that. There are churches that do that. But there's few. There's few that remember. And it's one of those things, guys, we can be hearers today. We can even recall, and we've been blessed to be able to study through Exodus. So we have a little more depth and a little more understanding of these things. But what are we actually going to do with them? Are we going to live them out by faith that please the Lord? That's what it's about. Joshua and Caleb were the only ones who had faith? Seriously? Out of three million? I don't know about you guys. Don't you want to please God? Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. Faith's important, guys. We're saved by it, right? Do you really believe in Jesus? Let me tell you what, that's pretty awesome. You must open God's instruction manual to correctly assemble a godly life. 
So here's how these five now precepts that we're going to look at. Okay, and a precept, real quick, before we read, starting in verse 6 here, a precept is a, uh, it's a rule of a moral, moral conduct, okay? That's what a precept is. This is how we ought to live. This is what is right, okay? We shouldn't care what others think is right. We shouldn't care about what culture and the world is saying is right. There's only one who's right, and he's the one who authored what is right and wrong, Okay? So, when it comes to this, guys, uh, we need to understand that these precepts are in place by the Lord, okay? Look at verse 6 with me. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as were some of them. And as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples as they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall, or lest he falls. So, the examples here, okay? Really an awful um, warning example given to us. And that's why it's so important that you and I read the Old Testament. Okay, there's some churches like, why even bother with the Old Testament? <laughs> this is the reason why, guys. Examples, warning, and admonitions. Pretty important for us. I want those as a believer. I don't want to be duped. Okay, I don't want to think that I have it all together and that I'm right when I'm wrong. So, I want us to look at verse 6. And this is the first precept that we see is don't crave evil things. Don't crave them. Okay? Quail bash here, okay? Lust to long after. If you have an NIV, they set their hearts on that, okay? Craving evil to crave in such a way. So they have been overexposed by the supernatural benefits, yet they still lacked a proper response to it. I want to share a story with you guys that we find in Numbers chapter 11. You can look up here on the screen. Verse 4 says this. Now, the mixed multitude who were among them, they yielded an intense craving, we're told. So we see that here, craving. So that the children of Israel also wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? Okay? Now, I can relate to this. I like meat. How many of you guys like meat? Okay? They were in a place, I need meat. Okay? I'm sick of just bread all the time. I want some meat with my meal. And then we jump down to verse 33, and it says, But while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a great, very great plague. So he called the name of the place Kibroth Hetava, because there they buried the people who had yield to craving. So quail bash, guys, okay? Um, you guys ever play that whack-a-mole game in the arcades growing up? 
you know. It's just one of those things, those cravings. We just got to put them in place, okay. Are we going to have cravings in life? Yeah. Are they always the right cravings? No, okay. So when it's lust, we have to put it in check. Second one, precept. Don't be idolatrous, okay. The golden calf here, and that story is found in Exodus Chapter 32, verse 6, is where we see Aaron. He made a golden calf, okay? Or it was melted in the fire, and voila! A golden calf appeared. You guys ever read that? Like, really? That's not what happened. Anyways, um, Chuck Swindoll says this about idolatry. He says, an idol is anything that seizes the adoration that belongs to God. It can be a parent, a child, a spouse, a friend, a reputation, a goal, anything that takes God's seat on the throne of our hearts. I like how we put that. We all worship. We've been created as such to be worshipers. But what do we choose to worship? Okay, all humanity are worshipers. I love what Peter Crete said. He said, the opposite of Christianity is not atheism. It's idolatry. And I so agree with him. Because even the atheists will worship something. You may worship your mind, intellect, your own experience, scientific rationale. But everyone has devoted themselves to some idol, some god. Idolatry is taking a good thing and elevating it to a god thing. So there are really, it's really easy to identify those things, okay? Um, idols in other parts of the world, other cultures, like Hindus. I mean, they carve out their idols and worship their gods. They got millions of them, but it's often hard to dial into our own idols. Would you guys agree? Okay, at least that's been my experience, and God's been faithful to reveal those things, okay? We worship our sports teams, our favorite bands, our careers. Some worship their sexual exploits, their hard bodies, their job, their house. Some worship where they live, their neighborhood, their car, their clothing, or the label that's on the clothing. Do you guys see how easy it is to fall into idolatry? And people crave, they lust, they put these things things above God and it's not just for the pagan heathen unbeliever little children keep yourself from idols that is the exhortation that we are given as believers in Jesus be careful Christian so what idols do you need to pull down in your life third precept Verse 8, don't be immoral. Numbers chapter 25, I want you guys to jot it down. Israel, harlotry with a woman of Moab. There's a warrior priest in that chapter by the name of Phineas. That would be a cool name for a kid. Aaron's grandson. You guys know that he was the one who stopped the plague there, he took a javelin through a man and a woman who were committing a sexual act there publicly. 
okay? And because of that in-your-face attitude, you know, you guys can look in Numbers 25, verse 6, as he took the Mennonite woman, he brought her in front of Moses and all the elders, okay, that were weeping there in front of the tabernacle of meeting. We're told that 23,000, okay, one day, that's what Corinthians tells us in this passage, stopped. Don't be immoral. It's okay. It's okay. We are a people that say it's okay, guys. We can accept sinners, but we can never affirm sin, guys. That's the truth. But our culture and the world in which we live in today, even within the church, guys, we're affirming. We spent the last couple of years dealing with a pandemic. People are dying from this. <laughs> Don't do this. Don't do that. Wear this. We were being told. And now there's some larger cities here in the United States that are calling for a national, what do they call it, tragedy or whatever. There's this monkeypox thing. And anybody that's looked into it, it's a sexually transmitted thing that's going on. And it's rampant in the homosexual community. But because this is a moral thing, because God says it's immoral, nobody's saying you can't do that. Do you guys see what is going on today in our culture? Why is this okay, but this isn't? Because we don't stand upon the precepts of God. We do not believe his word. It suggests here a process and it starts with an attitude. Because if you're craving and lusting the things of this world, <laughs> your mind's going to be warped. That's why we're called to renew our minds. And we do that through truth. Okay? And it continues with a substitution of other things in God's place. Idolatry. And then it results in immorality. Do you guys see the progression here? A lot of us don't understand this, but it is so clear in Scripture. And this immorality, in other words, anything in our lives that really is inconsistent with purity. And God's asked us, be pure as I am pure. Be holy as I am holy. That, that's why we as Christians, our identity is in Christ. Our kids are being pushed into finding their identity in something. Our culture is saying you have to find your identity in something. And it's sad because we've been created for one purpose and that's for the glory of God. And we can't do that without him being in him. And we as Christians are in Christ. That's why we are called to be set apart you guys understand that our identity is not in the things of this world or the sin that it is promoting. This is who I am, really? You find your identity in that. No. Our identity is in whom God has made us and the purposes he's made us for. But people don't seek those purposes. Why? 
because we've rebelled against God. We're to a point we don't even want to recognize him. We don't like what you say. We don't like who you are. We want nothing to do with you. Therefore, we're given over to what? The lie. So, the fourth precept, I like this. Don't test the Lord. (laughs) Don't test the Lord. Would you guys say that's just pretty reasonable from the get-go? Okay, because he's right. We're wrong. I pray that we have the humility when we are in our daily devotions and we're reading the scriptures that we find ourselves, you know what, God? (laughs) My thinking's got messed up. I've made that thing the priority. (laughs) But the priority is you. You're right and I'm wrong. So, don't test the Lord. The fiery serpents, you can jot down Numbers chapter 21, verse 5. They tested God there. And it says, the people spoke against God and against Moses. Have you brought us up out of Egypt to let us die here in the wilderness? And then God responded, not so warmly. In the next verse, it says, so the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. So don't dare God to come through. Okay, in the back of our minds, you know, there seems to hang this sign that reads, it'll be all right. God will forgive, forgetting about his holiness and his love. Never dare to exploit the goodness of God. I call that greasy grace. And that is something that is prevalent in the church today. Why? because the world is influencing the church today. Number five, don't complain, okay? Um, We see this in verse 10, if you see. And this brings us all the way back to Numbers chapter 16. There's a plague, 14,700 died. They were put fire in a censer uh, to stop. We're told in verse 41 of number 16, On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. So when they didn't get what they wanted, they complained bitterly and relentlessly. Oh, thankless complainers. Okay? Is it easy to complain? I think it's in our nature, isn't it? At least it's in my nature. I found myself, I knew what I was preaching today, and I was complaining yesterday. I was like, this is so lame. I know what I have to preach tomorrow. I know what 1 Corinthians 10 says. <laughs> I can't, you know, it was over nothing, really. It was just things not going the way I wanted, you know? And I'm grumbling and complaining. So do you meet life with a wine or a cheer? I think that's really the big question that we have. So we have perfected the art of grumbling. Matter of fact, we even can do it when everything's going great. I'll prove it to you guys. Have you ever complained that, you know, you don't have enough room in your closet? Or how about the freezer? It's full, (laughs) and I can't fit anything else. And we complain about those things. We've been so blessed, and we complain. I've been forgiven. I've been redeemed. I'm a child of the king. Eternity is set before me. I can't have it better. (laughs) 
but yet I can find a whole lot to complain about. And again, guys, these are examples we're told, okay? The word in the Greek is topos, T-U-P-O-S. It's to strike with a blow for the purpose of leaving an impression, okay? It's the same Greek word that's used when Jesus was hung upon the cross and pierced the impressions of the nails upon him. Some of you guys have those fun foam mattresses, right? You get up in the morning, there's an impression in that memory foam, and then it'll eventually come back out. It was also used in stamping or the imprint of the emperor upon their coins. So like, these here who were in the wilderness, having these different experiences should make a, a strong, permanent impressions upon us as we consider Consider these things, these examples. It should penetrate us, guys. It should leave a mark. I don't know about you guys, but do you ever get sick of learning the hard way? I remember when I first got on fire for the Lord. I knew it was right. <laughs> Grew up in the church. I knew what his word said about things. And for some reason, I chose to learn the hard way. And there was a day that finally it's just, I gave up. I'm like, you're right, God. <laughs> you're just right. It doesn't matter how I feel or what I think anymore. I'm just gonna do it your way. And let me tell you what, things got easier, okay? I don't like, some of you guys might like learning the hard way. I don't. And it's just good to do his word. You can jot down Luke chapter 12, verse 48 with me for everyone to whom much is given from him much will be required and to whom much has been committed of him they will ask the more God saw fit to privilege us guys we ought to respond in a gracious spirit in an obedient heart so according to verse 12, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Okay? Do you think that you're impregnable fortress? No one can touch me. I'm a super saint. I know the word of God. We need to be careful, guys. I want to recall to mind the letter that Jesus wrote to the church in Sardis. He tells us in Revelation 3.3, be watchful. Are we being watchful? Are we turning a blind eye? We need to be watchful and not just for ourselves, guys. Sardis was the Acropolis there built on this uh, jotting spur of rock that was very impregnable, okay, until Cyrus came along in 549 B.C., he offered a reward to anyone who could get in. And there was a soldier by the name of Herodias. He saw a soldier of Sardis accidentally drop his helmet over the edge. And when it went down, he marked his path. And that night he led, led a band of uh, soldiers up the cliff, that same very path. And they found it unguarded. They captured the citadel there, um, which was counted to be safe um, so we need to take heed Freedom Fellowship 
we need to take heed. As an individual believer in Jesus, we need to take heed. It was B.F. Meyer, I believe, who once said when he saw a brother or sister in sin, there's two things we do not know. He said the first thing, we do not know how hard he or she tried not to sin. And then secondly, we do not know the power of the forces that assailed him or her. We also do not know what we would have done in that same circumstance. So, five precepts. Let's look at the five promises now. Verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I hope you have that scripture circled in your Bible I love this verse. So there are five promises that we see just in this one verse, guys. Did you guys catch them? First promise is life is full of temptations. <laughs> Wait a minute. I don't like that promise. I thought these were going to be good promises. No, God loves us enough to tell us the truth. Okay? And he also tells us what to do. So in verse uh, 13, we see that life is going to have temptations and full of them. And these are tests designed not to make us fall, but to test us to emerge us stronger. Okay, how many of you guys have worked through a temptation? And as a result, you've come out stronger. You're closer to Jesus. You've grown in grace because of it. So these tests, guys, are designed by God. And God will not remove us from the temptation, which is common to all. Did you guys catch that? Common to all because, as Alan Redpath uh, fitly said, God has no pets. I like that. God has no pets. We all go through stuff, guys. Second thing that we see as a promise is there is no new temptation under the sun. Okay, They are common to man others have endured others have come through it certain parties god won't attend and i believe one of those parties is a pity party oh it's me why am i the only one they are common guys lightfoot he was the bishop of durham he was riding in a horse and carriage on a very narrow mountain there in norway and it was so narrow, it was only inches uh, from the, the edge. The wheel was right there. His friend riding with him said, hey, you'd be safer to get out and walk this stretch. Lightfoot, he surveyed the situation and said, other carriages have taken this road and drive on. <laughs> you see, other Christians have gone before us. There have been saints who've walked that road, guys, whom were tempted in the same way in the same things. They're common. In the Greek, that means suck it up, buttercup. Look it up. (laughs) The third one we see 
is that you are able. You guys can jot down Jude 24 and 25 and look that up later on your own. Now unto him who's able to keep us from stumbling. He is able, guys. He's also made us able. Not beyond what you are able. Not a moment longer, not a degree hotter than you can bear. Do you guys know when you're feeling that line? It's just like, all right, I'm about to cross the line. I'm not going to. I want to say that. I want to be right. I want to do it. I'm right at the Nope. I'm not going to. We all have that choice. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. We're all tempted. We're all going to go through it, guys. But God always makes a way of escape, which we'll get to in a second. Um, there's always a way out. That's the fourth one, okay? There's escape. You guys see that here? Okay. Um, the idea is uh, an army apparently surrounded, and they're suddenly seeing an escape route to safety. Hey, we have our way out. We can escape. We can make it. There's no need to fall into temptation. There is a way out. You don't have to sin, guys. Do you understand that? We don't have to. I think about the times I sin. I had a choice. God made a way of escape. And oftentimes, he makes it very clear, but because of my flesh, myself, my rights, I wanted to do it anyways. I was feeling that way, so I'm just going to do it. No. Walk in the Spirit. You won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So, um, there's no need to fall to temptations. He always makes a way of escape. And check it out, guys. Think of a temptation you've fallen into in the past, okay? Wasn't there an escape route? There's always an escape route. Last promise that we see here in this verse, he makes the way. That's the thing that's cool. All right. God says there's a way of escape. <laughs> I got to make it happen. I got to find out where it is. No, he's the one who's going to make it. And he, by his Holy Spirit, is going to say, son, daughter, come this way. This is the way of escape. Come to me. It's not by surrender. It's not by retreat, guys. But it's by the way of conquest and the power of the grace of God. Can I say that again, guys? It's not by conquest. It's not going to by some surrender, some retreat. It's by the power of God. It is his grace. You guys ever pray in such a way? When you're being tempted, like, Lord, I need a special grace right now. Because this is overwhelming. This is hard. I don't know why I'm thinking this way, feeling this way. I need help. I need a grace right now from you. And he hears us, guys. And when we humble ourselves and cry out for help, doesn't he give grace to the humble? But he resists the proud. Oh, I got this, God. <laughs> I'm strong. I can flirt over here with this sin. I won't cross that line. That pride, guys. When you know it, and you're right, that's when we fall into sin. And he's faithful and just to forgive us when we confess our sin, guys. So many of us continue to fall to that temptation just because we will not confess it. 
We still continue on in our pride and our right. But if we will humble ourselves, confess to one another, and pray for each other, he is faithful to forgive us. I've had some great temptations in my life, guys. Things that were hard. Why do I keep giving in again and again? And I've seen in my life, guys, when I confess to another believer and we pray, oh, there's victory. Why? Because that's what God's word says to do. And is he faithful to his word? Yes. Do his word. He'll enable you. Sometimes the only way is to run for your life. If we see verse 14, therefore my beloved, flee from idolatry. Did you guys catch that? Flee. That's the Greek word fugo. Fool. Go. Flee. Have nothing to do with it. That's our choice. So where should we flee, guys? We flee to the arms of Jesus. That's where we flee. It is to him. So I want you guys to remember, when you flee from temptations, be sure you don't leave a forwarding address behind. Amen? All right, let's wrap things up here this morning. I'm going to share something that Spurgeon said. I'm going to paraphrase it because I like my paraphrase a little better. Live for God's glory. If you do that, no testing can ever shake you. If it glorifies God for me to lose my property, I am no loser. I gave to God my goods years ago. If I'm put in prison and have lost my liberty, I am no loser. I gave up my liberty years ago. If you are told you are going to die, you are no loser. For you gave him your life years ago. I like that. There's an old Indian legend. Many years ago, an Indian, the Indian youths, they would go away to uh, solitude to prepare for manhood. One such youth, he hiked up this beautiful valley, green trees everywhere, or bright flowers, different colors. And there he fasted. And on the third day, he was looking at the surrounding mountains and he noticed this rugged peak. Okay, it was capped with this dazzling snow. I will test myself against the mountain, he thought. He put on his buffalo hide shirt and he threw his blanket over his shoulder and he set off to climb the peak. And when he reached the top, he stood there on the rim of the world. He could see forever and his heart swelled with pride and he heard a rustle at his feet. And looking down, he saw a snake. But before he could move, the snake spoke. I'm about to die, said the snake. It is too cold for me up here. And I'm freezing. There is no food and I am starving. Put me under your shirt and take me down to the valley. No, said the youth. I am forewarned. I know your kind. You're a rattlesnake. And if I pick you up, you will bite me, and your bite will kill me. Not so, said the snake. I will treat you differently. If you do this for me, you will be special, and I will not harm you. The youth resisted for a while, but this was a very persuasive snake with beautiful markings. 
At last, the youth tucked it under his shirt and carried it down to the valley and laid it gently on the grass when suddenly the snake coiled, rattled, leapt, and bit him on the leg. But you promised, cried the youth. You knew what I was when you picked me up, said the snake as it slithered away. Don't listen to your temptation. It is very persuasive. It may have some really beautiful markings. Don't listen. Father, that's our desire. We want to hear your voice and what you say. As we confess, and in that confession, we know that you are wiser. We know that your ways are better and they are right. And oh boy, the temptations, Father, that get thrown at us, especially as we desire to walk in ways that honor you, to walk with you, with this world, our flesh, the enemy. God, have so many things that are being thrown before us. God, Help us to hear you, to hear the truth, to stay close to you. We're so thankful, Father, for your word. We're thankful for your promises, God. That you are there. I know that you've spoken to us this morning. We know your word doesn't return void. But you also have given us free will. We have choices to make. And we want to choose you, Jesus, in your way. And we're humbly praying and asking of you, Father, for a special grace. I pray that for myself and my brothers and sisters, no matter what they're facing this day or what they're about to face, maybe this coming week or months, God, help us to stand firm upon that solid rock, upon you, Jesus. We ask humbly in your name. Amen. Amen.